Hello everyone, this is the Climate Voices podcast and I'm your host Omesa Mukaya. So welcome to our very first episode of the podcast where we'll be talking about climate change. We'll be giving an interface for interaction between people who have been working from different capacities, ranging from researchers to policy practitioners and people who have been working in the communities in addressing the impacts of climate change. Yeah, so today I'm joined on the show by an amazing guest who's been doing a lot of work, especially with communities in addressing climate change. Uh, Caroline Kibi, welcome. Thank you very much. Yeah, so Caroline is an environmental scientist, a researcher, um, a writer, a consultant, a community volunteer and a nature enthusiast who's been building capacities for communities in ecological restoration and protection. So I welcome uh, Caroline and uh, feel free to tell us more about what you're doing at the moment and uh, what you've been doing in the past around uh, empowering the communities in addressing climate change. Thank you so much Omesa for inviting me to this podcast. Uh, I'm excited to be here. I'll just go straight to share about uh, my experiences and exactly what I do at the moment. So I am a founder of an organization called Envira World Initiative, uh, which has been active since 2019. And we build on four pillars, that is climate action, sensitization and storytelling and documentation and conservation. Uh, So we work uh, across Kenya, but we are trying to open our borders uh, to working with uh, other individuals and communities across Africa. So currently I am coordinating in collaboration with uh, an organization called Climate Change Lawyers Cafe, an environmental and climate action uh, mentorship program that uh, targets youth between the ages of 21 and 29. Uh, from East Africa. So we have uh, youth from five countries at the moment. Ethiopia, we have Somalia, uh, we have Rwanda, one from Rwanda, we have Uganda, Tanzania and Kenya. Actually those are six countries. So what we are trying to do is we are trying to build the capacity of these young people who have demonstrated an interest in environmental conservation and climate action so that they can be more informed when it comes to tackling climate issues. Our main foundation is that so many people have an interest in climate issues, they want to champion, but they don't have the uh, the core aspects of climate change or rather climate science. So, for instance, this month, let me say August, September, which is like a month, mm-hmm. uh, we are running a program on climate science. So we have different experts that come in to educate uh, the mentees to understand, you know, the critical aspects of climate science. What is climate science? What is climate change? What really informs climate change until the point where we say we want to develop climate adaptation and mitigation interventions? And that is where the youth come into play because they want to go out and solve Mm -hmm. the climate uh, problems that we are facing right now, especially here in Africa. So I think that's what we are doing and we've gone ahead to sort of try and pair the mentees and mentors. So we have different topics and people that come from different fields around climate change and environment. So I think that is what I'm doing right now. But in the past, 
and uh, Environ World, we've worked on restoring a lake in Baringo. It's called Lake Apnarok that has been drying frequently. Mm. Uh, but this is a lake that is a main source of livelihood to the community. It's like uh, the source of water to wildlife. We are talking about uh, more than 500 elephants that used to go and uh, quench their thirst from that lake. But, you know, because of climate change, uh, things have changed. The lake has been drying. Uh, we are talking about a community that has been um, fishing, that draws the water from there, a community that keeps livestock, and they've been, uh, you know, taking their livestock to uh, drink water from the lake. But now they cannot do that because the lake is drying. Mm. Uh, so the entry point was to sit down with the community and have a discussion, keeping in mind that this is a community that understands the problem, it's the community that has the solutions, it's only that they may not have that capacity to sort of execute those solutions. That is why we came into play to, first of all, understand what is the approach that this community wants to take when it comes to solving uh, the problem within their community, restoring the lake. And by restoring this lake, it doesn't mean that they'll just go and plant trees. No, they have to start from upstream and downstream, combined effort. And we didn't go there as environmental initiative only. We partnered with other organizations such as KIN, which is a youth-led uh, climate network. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then we also approached the other community actors within uh, Lake Apnarok. We also talked to the county government and at this point our liaison's person was uh, a county representative. So for us it was a combined effort and it's something that we are still following it up. So what we've done already is to go and distribute seed balls uh, because we thought that was the easiest way to sort of restore the lake or the ecosystem around the lake in as much as we still have other plants but you see uh, working with the community really takes a lot of courage mm -hmm. and effort you don't just go in and say this is what i want you to do and we are tackling a climate issue we're also tackling an issue that involves uh, land rights uh, so it's very complicated, but uh, with that joint effort, I think uh, we are heading towards the right direction. And uh, I don't know what else should I talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, that's a lot of work that you've been doing. I like uh, how you, you've approached the approach that we've given it, you know, involving everyone, bringing everyone on board from the communities, you know, from the government, and also reaching out to other, especially young uh, youth led organizations because. Uh, what we, are, we have been trying to do is to address the siloed approach that most conservationists have been doing. You know, everyone is doing their, their work uh, without consulting the other person, but we are all doing uh, the same work. So we, we end up, you know, uh, replicating all the efforts. So it's, it's a good uh, approach to, you know, reach out to people and also trying to co-create solutions because uh, these are communities who are affected by, like you mentioned, the Lake Kamna Rock, yeah, which provides a source of livelihood to a lot of communities and also this wildlife you mentioned around uh, 500 elephants have to quench their thirst and all that. Actually, let me just add that uh, yeah. ever since the lake started drying, mm. uh, most of those elephants, they've migrated, uh, the giraffes that we used to have, they've moved to other parks. So you can clearly see that climate change is taking a toll on the community and wildlife. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something that you've not acted upon 
uh, collectively, then it's going to impact on biodiversity and then humanity also. Yeah, and that's something that we don't want to see. So um, the reason why we have to keep working together. Uh, so in the beginning, you mentioned something about you know breaking down the climate science information. That's mm -hmm. a major problem that we are seeing at the moment. Climate science is a very complicated you know terminologies that uh, people don't especially understand at the communities. And you mentioned you know bringing people on board to break down the climate science information such that people can be able to understand and be willing to take part. So I, I remember like having the informal conversation with you and I've, I've also been following up on what you're doing you know on social media and all you know you are a good writer you've been doing a, a lot of writing as a way of you know communicating what you do mm -hmm. uh, so um can you briefly talk about your writing initiatives mm -hmm. and, and how you use it to communicate your work thank you yes i think uh, i've been writing for several years now mm. uh, i started writing blog posts uh, writing letters to the editor, just around climate change, environmental conservation. Uh, and for me, I take writing as a very important tool to communicate, especially voice uh, those ideas, ideologies, and propositions that I may not have another platform to communicate them. Uh, if I don't have uh, the media, sort of, let's say, the mainstream media to voice my concerns, I can write them, I can publish them on my blog, I can publish in the media. So uh, I've been uh, writing, or rather I've been contributing to different uh, local newspapers as well as uh, international platforms yeah. to just voice my concerns around climate issues and environmental conservation. So. It's been a very good uh, platform for me because it has opened doors not just uh, academically but also given me an opportunity to work here in Kenya as well as uh, abroad. Uh, I've had a chance to be a policy leader fellow and I think the basis of selection was as a result of uh, the advocacy articles that I was publishing in the media. Mm. Uh, so. I write articles from different angles, opinionated articles, advocacy mm. articles, but I've gone ahead to writing policy briefs, uh, publishing journals and research papers. So the foundation was blogging, which mm. I think it has really given me an edge and also strengthened my voice and my understanding of uh, climate change, climate issues and environmental concerns uh, and you might want to know that uh, this is an area that not many people have ventured in. Yeah, there are still yeah. few people who are into writing or le let me say communicating climate issues from an informed point of view and I think we need more people who go into this space. Mm. Uh, yeah. It does not mean that you need to be an environmentalist for you to communicate climate issues, but you can you know, educate yourself. And I think that is why we have this uh, environmental and climate action mentorship, because we want to empower more people to be able to communicate these issues from an informed point of view. Yeah. I like you know, communicating climate change. It's a good uh, initiative that everyone should take part in, especially the young people. So I see this presenting a lot of opportunities for young people, especially some of us who've been you know, studying about climate change and climate science. 
so trying to get everyone know understanding what you're talking about and how to address it yeah i mean through your initiative the environmental world you've done a lot about that i mean you're empowering uh, so many people to take up that and i'm i'm hoping writing is one of the skills they are going to pick yeah and also there are various other ways of communicating climate change by going to the mainstream media going to radio stations especially for example when you're working in baringo uh, as a person who understands the local language it'd be very interesting to have young people talk about climate change for example in in um, you know in Kalenjin in Kipsigi somewhere <laughs> yeah it, i mean for people to understand and know what you're talking about exactly that's yeah. true i've said uh, your work through your work and also the writing and communicating it as open not just opportunities here in Kenya but you know abroad you've been in Europe you've you've done uh, so many other things um, apart from you know doing uh, recommendations for policy through policy briefs and giving your opinionated uh, you know contributions on climate change yeah so um given that we also trying you know to speak to the young people get them attracted to taking part in these initiatives uh, you have taken part in a, you know a fellowship policy leader through your work so uh, maybe there's someone who's listening out there who doesn't know that maybe they can get a career out of you know doing this kind of work so can you briefly talk about uh, how your work has led you to taking part in this kind of fellowships and uh, maybe try to empower some young person who might be listening mm -hmm. yeah. yeah thank you so much i think uh, that is a very dynamic uh, question because it's not just uh, it's not something that is straightforward mm -hmm. you really need to do quite a lot uh, and you need to believe in yourself you need to do a good job not just doing it because you want to get something out of it but you want to make a difference in the community and uh, for me going into uh, climate action or conserving the environment partly came because I was trained or I'm a trained environmentalist mm. and secondly I've been impacted by climate issues because mm. I come from You come ba from Baringo. I right? come from Baringo, yes. Oh, okay. And that is a marginalized community. And it's I think according to the agroecological zonation is it classified under the arid and semi-arid Exactly. Land? Yeah. Yes. Partly there are places that are completely arid, the mm -hmm. others that are semi-arid, others are highlands, so yeah. it's, a, it's a mixed mm -hmm. uh, agroecological zone. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, so our first uh, climate issues first hand, and mm -hmm. so for me doing this is because I want to address an issue that is affect, has affected me, mm, is as, affecting, a person, as yeah. a person, is affecting mm -hmm. my community, and what I would just tell the young people who are going into this space is that uh, do it with passion, but inform yourself because uh, you cannot solve environmental problems if you are not well informed. Mm. And people need to understand that uh, environmental issues are different in different regions. So any solution that you are developing has to be very specific to that to that area, sorry, and mm. to that problem. Mm. So we need to educate ourselves every now and then to understand the dynamics affecting that community what problem do you really want to solve you know yeah. and in the long run those uh, actions that you're getting yourself into are the ones that are going to open doors uh so for me <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, i think it has taken uh the training mm -hmm. as an environmental scientist it took the passion 
uh, going into writing mm-hmm. and then also passion that uh, I volunteered to be a community leader. Yeah, and also partly coming from a community that is affected by the impacts of climate change, right? Yes, yes, exactly. Mm. In as much as that has not played mm. uh, a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, it has not added much value, but I would say just have that passion, mm-hmm. do it willingly without expecting anything, mm-hmm. and be informed. Oh. Yeah. But also, opportunities do not come looking for you every time. You mm-hmm. have to look for those opportunities, run yeah. for them. If you see something that you feel like it's within your scope, it's something that you really know and believe that you can tackle, you know, you qualify, why not try? Yeah. Yeah. I think it will take you to greater heights. Yeah, but if you do a good job again, uh, opportunities will come looking for you. Sooner or later, you'll find that organizations, individuals are coming for you, mm-hmm. for consultancies. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as an environmentalist, mm-hmm. uh, maybe not environmental scientist, but environmentalist, you have so many opportunities. You can be an activist, you can be a champion for environmental conservation. But if you want to go deeper into the science, then you know, take a course mm. or go to school. There are so many free courses mm. on environmental issues, climate change, that you can enroll. They are free and you become a better person mm. when it comes to addressing these issues. You've said this fellowship has so many opportunities for you. So I'm, I'm assuming you met you know, other young people from different parts of the world. So like, did you, how, how, how did you get to learn like how they're addressing maybe climate change from like, their perspective in their mm-hmm. countries? And uh, what did you learn from the fellowship mm-hmm. that you're applying at the moment? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so the Policy Leader Fellowship was very integral in my career because I got to meet people from different parts of the world. This was an international fellowship. Uh, I had people from India that we got to work together. Mm. Where where was the fellowship? Oh, the fellowship was in Florence, Italy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is a fellowship that is uh, categorized into two there's a five month fellowship and ten month fellowship so you can see that you can do quite a lot Mm -hmm. depending on how aggressive you are and what you really want to achieve Mm -hmm. and of course it opens doors to so many opportunities so like i was trying to say that uh, i had an opportunity to work with youth uh, from different uh, parts of this world Mm -hmm. and one of the things that i gained from this fellowship is networking Mm -hmm. And uh, I think what I'm actually applying right now is I'm using the networks that I gained Mm -hmm. during the fellowship to apply in our mentorship program because part of the trainees were fellows Mm -hmm. in that fellowship. So I think that is something that comes without saying that if you go to any place, you really need to make connections. And, you know, in the climate space where... Yes, the challenges could be the same, but how you approach them is quite different. For me, I got to learn that uh, a problem that is affecting me in Kenya, in as much as it's the same thing, it could be floods, but the way we tackle that problem in Kenya is totally different from the way it's tackled in uh, India, for Mm. instance, or in Manila, Philippines. Mm. So I just realized that uh, climate issues are very context-specific, and we need to really 
uh, focus on that. Even when we're working with our communities, whether we're working under the government, other, under non-governmental organization, or you're working as an individual, you just need to understand that you cannot solve uh, climate issues from an umbrella point of view. Mm. It has to be very, very specific, specific, yeah, yeah, and context specific. So I, I think those are some of the things that I picked from that uh, fellowship. Mm. Of course, there are so many things because it was a policy fellowship. Mm. Again, we are looking at trans transnational policies. For me, I was focusing on single-use plastics. Mm. I was trying to sort of look at uh, the possibility of having a continental policy treating. Not really a treaty, but I was looking at Africa as mm. a continent. Can we have a single policy? single policy that binds us to mm. address single-use plastics. Yeah. Uh, so that was my main uh, project, but of course I would just report that yes, it's possible, mm. <laughs> we can have, but it will take a lot of effort, needs and a lot of uh, political sort of uh, a very strong political goodwill, yeah. uh, because uh, you know, we, we come from Africa, we are more than 50 countries mm. with totally different uh, policies, we are at different economic and social uh, levels, so trying to have a common policy that is binding can be very hard. But of course we are trying to also have the, the free trade mm, in Africa. Yeah. So for you to have that free trade, again, you need to have a common policy that is binding you. And I thought uh, the single-use uh, plastic policy that binds Africa as a continent could be of interest. So I wrote a policy brief, which mm -hmm. maybe you will share with your followers. Yeah, I'll I give mean, you a I, link. I'll share the link. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I think that's it for the fellowship. Yeah, I mean, I, it speaks a lot to the kind of opportunities we have out there and how the young people can take part in. I remember you, you also recently attended the, you know, Stockholm Plus Fifty. The science and policy forum are you want to talk about that yes yeah so i had an opportunity to participate in the stockholm 50 plus uh, but specifically i took part in the science policy business forum uh, which was preceding uh, the Stockholm 50 plus, which was a general forum. So uh, this policy science uh, business forum was a very important uh, opportunity, which was, I would say it was a restricted uh, forum in a way. Mm. Yeah, but it gave So what, what do you mean restricted? Is like for governments or? No, no, it was for, it was a high level policy high level forum. political forum, yeah. yeah. Not political, but policy. Policy, yeah. Yes, yeah. high-level policy. So, of course, it brought people from high-level uh, yeah. organizations, government uh, Agencies, entities. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, but the point was trying to sort of um, see the linkage between science, policy, and business, mm -hmm. sort of harmonize them, because you cannot have a sustainable business mm. or carry out business in a sustainable way without being informed by science, and also you need a policy, and policies are def developed by the governments, let me say so. Mm. Yeah, so the uh, forum focused on that, how we can harmonize, and I think one of the recommendations uh, from some of the participants was that uh, we need to harmonize science, policy, and business. You know, sort of have an interconnecting, uh, an interconnecting. Uh, you've mentioned so much that you've done around the plastics. Of course, that's a major issue. And I like the uh, position Kenya is taking. Yes. Kenya, we have a you know total ban on single-use plastics. Mm -hmm. That's something that the rest of the Africa and the planet should emulate. 
especially through a policy you know perspective you know at some point uh, the us was trying to force through the american chemistry council to impose you know importation of plastics into kenya but i like the stand that the young people took yes. you know in standing in solidarity you said some of the things the young people can do it's about activism and all that you know demonstrating against government we put our position very clear that we don't want that because we're already taking uh, you know one step forward and we don't want to go two steps back Mm-hmm. Yeah, America was trying to get us back, but the young people stood firm in collaboration with others, and we said no yes. to single-use plastics, and, and it, Kenya remains a leader in that space. So um, what, what we actually want to see is, uh, you know, even in climate change response, we want Kenya to remain uh, a leader that it is. I know the president also attended the Stockholm Plus 50, if I'm not wrong. Yes, it is. Yeah, and he always gives, you know, very strong... Uh, statements or policy positions yeah that's that's one thing I admire our leadership for because you have all these policies and given that you have been working in the policy space but also through your work I know you have not just been recognized locally but I, I remember I saw, I saw that uh, you were recently uh, you know um, voted were you voted or nominated as <laughs> I don't know top 100 young African conservation leaders in 2021 Wow yeah. What an achievement. So, yeah. What, what, what does it feel like, you know, to be in that space? And how did you, uh, you know, react to that? How are you using that title, you know, to inform your work at the moment? What did you feel like yeah. being, you know? Thank you for <laughs> bringing that up. Mm. Yeah, for me, it felt really amazing to be recognized as, uh, as one of the 100 top uh, young African conservationists. Mm. Uh, not just because I work with communities, but also from a leadership front, mm-hmm. uh, working with the young people. It's, you know, I've, besides working with the youth, mm-hmm. I've also worked with the young children, mm-hmm. uh, primary school kids, mm-hmm. planting trees in churches, yeah. uh, giving them uh, uh, what do you call fruit trees? Fruit trees, yeah, yeah to plant yeah. in their homes because I think that is one way of just uh, bestowing sort of environmental responsibility among the young people. Mm. So this uh, recognition or let me say nomination mm. came at a time when I was actively involved in conservation issues and. Um, I'm still actively involved yeah. and I think it gave me a platform to really voice my concerns and come strongly as someone who has been recognized. I think it gave me a power to do more mm-hmm. because I felt like, okay, someone has seen my efforts mm-hmm. and to be recognized in, at such a level mm-hmm. meant a lot to me. I think that is part of the inspiration to mentor other young people and for me I thought okay I was recognized I was uh, trained because this was not just a mere recognition but it was a nine month training Mm -hmm. that we were exposed to different uh, people from across the globe Mm. uh, who educated us on different aspects from uh, communicating environmental issues from uh, seeking for grants, networking, and that is what I'm sort of trying to do with the young people through the mentorship program. So I'm using it in different ways and uh, I hope more and more people will come out and work hard in uh, conserving our environment. Mm -hmm. You don't have to be recognized to be 
an environmentalist or to take climate action or environmental action, I think uh, your work will always speak volumes mm -hmm. and people will actually see what you do so you don't have to work hard for you to be recognized. Just do what you have to do and yeah. you will be recognized in the end. And I must say that there are many people in Kenya, especially the young people who are doing amazing works, their efforts have not been recognized, but I would say don't give up. It's not, it's not every person who gets to be recognized as a top 100 leading climate uh, and conservation leaders in Africa. Yeah, so I know there are a lot of people, especially those working in communities, who are doing some really amazing work, which is more impactful, that, but it's not covered maybe in the mainstream media. There's not that kind of recognition to encourage other young people, uh, you know, to, not just young people, other people are, you know, interested or passionate in taking part in climate uh, change conservation and, you know, addressing climate change. In, in the same spirit, uh, you know, in the global processes, Africa is uh, known to be lagging behind, especially, you know, in the IPCC processes. We are heading to the 27th Conference of Parties in, uh, in Egypt in November later this year. I know, you know, so many stories have been told, especially around uh, loss and damage for Africa, but we rarely see African, you know, voices being represented in that. Yeah, can you link up that to, you know, uh, kind of apathy in the African science space. He said that we are not taking part, you know, aggressively or proactively to make sure our voices are heard. Mm -hmm. Or like, why do you think, uh, you know, African voices are not being heard? Yet there's all this amazing work that is being done. Thank you for that question. Well, we know that uh, many people have gone into the climate, science, policy space. But I would say that uh, we've not given research a lot of emphasis in most African countries. Mm -hmm. um, in cases where there is research, it looks like we don't really publish our work for the whole world to see. Uh, perhaps we lack uh, platforms to publish these uh, articles or the results of our research. Mm -hmm. And in cases where there are platforms, those platforms are not free. In most cases, so we find that people them. have to pay to yeah. publish their work. Yet this is work that could go into informing, uh, you know, other people's the work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, I think for many people who don't have the funds to uh, pay for publication, then it becomes a problem. So people do the research, they do, they public, they write, you know, their results, but mm -hmm. they don't get a chance to publish them in their global uh, open spaces. Mm -hmm. I think that is one. And two, perhaps we still lack a strong support from our governments because mm -hmm. we, we really need to see the governments supporting researchers supporting so in climate terms of the, in terms of uh, resources like you mean financial yeah, yeah, yeah i mean financial because uh, environmental conservation is not cheap mm. it's very expensive mm. and for people who really want to do a lot of work they need that financial support mm. it may not be financial support it could even be machinery you need some equipment to do certain uh, work testing testing yeah. exactly you want to restore a leg for instance you want to test you want to sort of test mm. let's the say water quality, the water quality yeah, yeah. stability yeah. exactly yeah. all those uh, you want to go and say you want to do massive uh, 
planting or mm -hmm. maybe spreading of seed balls mm -hmm. you might want to use drones or you mm -hmm. want to use something else that is something that a young person may not do it by themselves they'll need some support and given that we are doing it for the benefit of our country our community so we need that support and the strongest support should come from the people and the government in as much as they are research and non-governmental organizations that have come to support us. So I think there are so many things that go into the fact that uh, most African uh, scientists or maybe information is not yeah. available. And mm -hmm. also data, we don't have a, a common area that you can you know, access that data. And I think this is something that should go to the governments, mm. uh, that they need to establish a platform where we can access all the data. Mm. If it means uh, decadal uh, data, you want to do sort of decadal analysis mm. in terms of, you know, climate variability, you mm. need to have a platform where you can just go and, uh, you know, generate that data and do your analysis. But that is what is lacking. So yeah. there are so many things that go into play. Yeah, I know, for example, uh, I think I think Kenya has the Kenya Climate Change Knowledge Portal, mm -hmm. but maybe now the kind of data that we have there is what you're talking about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. because we need to have quality data, mm -hmm. recent, mm -hmm. something that is current, because if we have outdated data now, it will become very hard for us to inform research and make those conclusions. And Yeah. I think again this uh, it's something that presents opportunities. Everything that we're doing or talking about what I'm always trying to look at is the opportunity for young people. Exactly. So especially the young people who are into climate change science and climate change conservation. This presents so many opportunities for young people to take part in that, you know, especially they can be data scientists or researchers or, you know, doing modeling and stuff. Mm -hmm. I, I know we were talking about modeling some time back. It's it's I like these are new opportunities or like I, I, I imagine uh, opportunities that young people can take, uh, you know, can grasp and take part in. Yeah, and um, the, the idea of getting support from the governments, especially around, you know, making sure that all this work that we're doing is getting out, our research is getting out, that's the only way uh, I think of Kenya and Africa is going to, you know, communicate their position uh, and their work to the rest of the world so that uh, all these efforts are captured, especially in the global arena. Uh, through, for example, the IPCC, which uh, publishes. That's the only way Africa is going to tell their stories. Yeah, as we come to an end, I, I mentioned that, uh, you know, we are going for the COP, 27th COP, which is happening in Egypt. Uh, yeah, many people have called it an African COP, which I'm not sure what that means. Is it because it's happening in Africa? But who is leading the process uh, and how are we going to make sure that our voices are captured in this and we are actually going to get uh, good results from this uh, conference, from these negotiations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, for the young people who are preparing, for instance, you know, to go to the COP, which uh, message will you have for them and what do you think uh, this conference of parties is going to achieve? Mm -hmm. yeah. Thank you for that. I, I think there have been so many critics uh, around COPs, mm -hmm. uh, but for me I would say, well, it is a, an opportunity for us as young people and the African continent to voice their grievances around uh, just climate actions. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think the young people who are preparing to participate in uh, the upcoming COP mm -hmm. should go there with a very strong message 
that uh, we need to have just climate action that uh, each country each individual needs to take responsibility of their actions we already know that uh, the countries that contribute more of the greenhouse gases are not really taking the responsibility of paying for the damage so i think we need to go as a young people to cope and emphasize that we want organizations and individuals who contribute high proportions of carbon mm. to take responsibility they need to contribute more of the climate finance, uh, finance. Yeah. yes exactly mm. and of course you know that uh, that is our major problem in africa it's climate fun, finance funding, yeah, yeah the yeah. funding mm. and that is what we really want we need the lion's share because we're the ones suffering it we contribute the smallest amount of uh, greenhouse gases yeah, so for me, I would tell the youth, you need to be stronger, you need to go there with a common voice and know that you may not always get what you want, you may not always be heard, but at least speak your mind, mm. but also know that back at home, the same, same challenges are still waiting for you and your community to tackle. So learn something from COP and come and apply at home in a very contextualized manner. Yeah, I take that as a special calling to the young people, strong voice that you're setting out there for young people to take part in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it doesn't just go to the young people, I think even the African governments. It's, it's, it's high time that they stood as, a, you know, as, a, as, as one voice mm -hmm. because all these issues are common issues that we're facing. And I also like the contextualized form of you know, addressing issues. I know climate change is a, it's a global uh, issue, but uh, different people affected differently. Yeah, so uh, for example, the issues around uh, you know climate change that are affecting people in Baringo, like you mentioned, that are quite different from people in Kitui or from Kisi, where I come from. Yeah, so there's that aspect of you know having local uh, community-led actions, and that's one thing that young people. I keep emphasizing on, on young people because. Uh, it's our future that is endangered and we keep talking about sustainability. Sustainability is about the future, it's about what we are doing now and what it how it affects our future. So any young person who is listening to that, this is our space. Yeah. Let's seize it, let's seize the opportunity and make our, our voices heard. Yeah. Yep. I think before you close, you mentioned about uh, community-led uh, initiatives. Mm -hmm. And I think it's about time that uh, scientists and researchers go out and tap on the local knowledge. We call it uh, traditional knowledge. Uh, we understand that our communities really have homegrown, you know, traditional skills and mm, knowledge that right. if it's yeah. not tapped, mm. it's, we are going to suffer in future yet. This is knowledge that has been used over time to predict climate variations. Mm. So it needs to be documented and I think this will inform research. So these are some of the things that you were talking earlier that how comes we don't see a lot of uh, research coming from Africa. Mm. It's because we are not uh, investing in such actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, that's a very strong recommendation. It's also not just, you know, focus on science and forget that the people who have been, like our forefathers who have been addressing this kind of, you know, climatic and weather changes and, and, and climate variability over time. This is a way, for example, they have been doing uh, agriculture, you know, and solving the issues of food insecurity. Mm -hmm. And they have been feeding generations and generations. 
uh, before we even knew about you know the kind of uh, instrumental data and, and satellite data that we're using for uh, science-based kind of climate change science yeah so strong message there let's also you know uh, take advantage of indigenous knowledge as we work with the communities mm. last words for <laughs> well, anyone listening to this uh, to anyone who is listening i want to say that uh, you have a responsibility to ensure that your individual carbon footprint does not contribute to the increase in uh, greenhouse gases that is something we are trying to fight right now. So you have a sole responsibility as a citizen of wherever country, wherever community, to ensure that you check on your consumption and the waste that you generate to ensure that we really make this planet a better place for us as the current generation and the future generations. We want to have that uh, inter and intergenerational equity. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh intergenerational and intragenerational equity very important there we have the young people in mind as we do whatever we're doing yeah so thank you so much caroline it's been amazing having you on the show uh, it's a lot of you know good stuff that you've shared with this kind of information and, and communicating climate change we're going to make all our efforts out there be heard and uh, we try to make the world a better place Absolutely, and congratulations for the podcast. <laughs> yeah, we thank you need so much. more of these platforms to share our experiences and also give other people an opportunity to learn. So thank you. Yeah, um, thank you. It's a, it's a pleasure. Yeah. Uh, until next time, so anyone listening to this, I encourage you to be looking out for more of such amazing conversations from uh, different people who have been doing amazing work in addressing the impacts of climate change. So we'll be sharing, I, I remember you said you are going to share a link to some of the work that you've done and the fellowships and how young people can take part in that. So look out to that and uh, we'll be sharing more in the days to come. Thank you so much for your time and uh, have a lovely time everyone.